In 1965, a computer company called IBM created a new word that would be added to the English dictionary and quickly adopted into the common vernacular. That word was multitasking. Multitasking. It was a word that was created to describe this new machine called a computer and how it functioned, that it was able to do multiple tasks at a single time. And so it might surprise you that the word multitasking is only about 50 years old. But maybe also more surprising is that this word was originally given to a computer, not a person. Now, I know some of you think that you're so great at multitasking, but actually, you're not. You're not. Uh, The human brain cannot multitask. Now, you might be really good at switching back and forth between uh, different thoughts, projects, opinions, and so forth. You might be quick at doing that, but your brain isn't actually multitasking. The human brain cannot actually do more than one thing at a time. That our consciousness is designed to be at one place at one moment in time. New studies are saying that Distracted driving, a new phrase, is becoming even more dangerous than drunk driving. Now, let it be clear, okay, drunk driving is still as dangerous and stupid and reckless as ever, but new, new studies are saying that distracted driving is on the rise. And you know what distracted driving is, right? Unless you're one of those people... And you've been so distracted that you're not aware of what distracted driving is. But distracted driving is driving and. Driving and changing the radio station. Driving and talking on the phone. Driving and texting. Driving and checking social media. Silly. And each time that you look down, even just for a split second, it takes your mind a few more split seconds to catch up and focus back on The road, distractions, can be fatal. So a little bit more history and useless knowledge for you to use at a dinner party sometime, but I figured if you're going to be in church, you might as well learn something while you're here. That word distracted literally means to be pulled apart in different directions, to be pulled apart or to be, to be separated. There was actually, uh, in the 16th century, there was a French form of torture. It was kind of like tug-of-war between two horses, but instead of a flag in the middle, it was a person. I know, that was just like really dark and deep uh, for a Sunday morning, uh, but I'm trying to prove a point. The, the distractions, that was called distracting someone, distractions was to be pulled apart, separated, undone. Vance Havner said, if you don't come apart for a while, meaning if you, don't, if you don't take a break and catch your breath, if you don't rest, if you don't pause, if you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart in a while. It's a powerful quote, I think. And I also believe that one of the key reasons why people are 
so tired, so worn out, so stressed out, stretched too thin, is because of this little thing. This little thing. That we're trying to keep up with this. That our minds are trying to compete with this, but our minds were never created to do this or to be this. Walter Brueggemann said, multitasking is the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. But the problem is that we live in a world where multitasking is a premium, At your last job interview, if you had any sense, when they asked you what your greatest strength was, you should have said multitasking. Your ability to be in one place but doing something else, to be focused on something while your hands are busy. You know how to get things done. You know how to be focused and yet efficient. You know how to be effective. But at what cost? At what cost? Are you being distracted? And so let me uh, take you to a passage in, uh, in the New Testament, the only place in the Bible where the word distracted actually shows up, although it's a common theme uh, throughout Scripture, but this is the only passage where uh, the word distracted actually shows up. So it comes from Luke chapter 10, and it says this. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they left somewhere, they're on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Okay, before we get in there, just just notice that this is this is Martha's house. Mary is just there chilling, right? Mary's just hanging out. She's not even paying any rent. The least that she could do is do some chores to help out around the place. Mary is that lazy, good-for-nothing sibling. You know, we all have one of those in the family, right? The person who just brings Tupperware to a dinner party. Yeah. We all have that lazy, good-for-nothing sibling in the family. And if you think that you don't have one of those in your family, hmm. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> you now know who you are. But before, before I get into this story, and, and maybe you've, you've heard it before, but before I go any further, let me, let me just say, you know, thank God for the Marthas, right? Marthas, you know, often get a bad rap. You might know how this story kind of ends, but it's because of Martha that we have food to eat, right? It's because of Martha's that the bills are paid. It's because of Martha's that the house is cleaned. It's because of Martha's that the children's ministry has volunteers up there on Sunday morning, right? And the the point is that, that Martha wasn't doing something wrong or bad. It's just that she wasn't doing what was best. And often the most difficult decisions that we will have to make in our lives are not between good and bad, but between good and great, between good and best. 
And it says that Martha is distracted. She's busy. She's working. She's doing. She's hustling. She's getting it done. But she needs some help. And so here's what it says. It says, she, that's Martha, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Man, I love Martha. Martha straight up rebukes Jesus right here, okay? Jesus, why don't you care that Mary's a lazy good for nothing and she's not helping out? Tell her to come and help me. Lord, why don't you care that she's just over there chilling? Now, anytime that you find yourself chewing out Jesus and rebuking Jesus, that might be a sign for you that something's a little off, all right? That your spiritual life has a little bit of an imbalance in it. That Martha accuses Jesus of, of not caring, and she tells him what to do. That all this preparation was for him, because Jesus is coming over. Jesus, the one who can who can restore the sight to the blind, who can heal the sick, who can feed the hungry, who can raise the dead back to life. You got to make some special preparations for such a guest as this. And all of this preparation was for him. But now Jesus has become the problem. He's the problem. So let's just Let's pause here for a moment. Everybody say pause with me. Ready? Pause. All right. So Martha's in the room. Put your phone down and listen. How many relationships have you ruined because of your Martha tendencies? Your tendency to keep doing Keep producing, keep working, keep at it, being so busy that you don't value the relationship that is right in front of you. That you spent vacations answering phone calls and emails. You were too busy looking down to take a moment to look up and see the beautiful life that is unfolding before your eyes. And maybe when you cross those boundaries, maybe, maybe the reason why you crossed those boundaries, why those boundaries fell for you, is because the foundation was too shallow. And look, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, right? I'm surprised my wife hasn't said amen over there. But here's what I know. Here's what I've learned the hard way, and here's what I bet that you know as well is that distractions make intimacy impossible. Distractions make intimacy impossible. That when we give our heart, we give our mind, we give our attention over to that, we feed into that distraction, we are making intimacy impossible. That we're so afraid and so worried about missing out on the world that is outside of us that we miss the world passing us by. So we have to ask ourselves whether it's wise 
to invest our time in, in the latest distraction or the latest demand because you'll get dozens of opportunities. And with every opportunity, you'll get dozens of decisions that have to be made every single day. And just because an opportunity presents itself does not mean that you have to take it. In fact, often you shouldn't. It's not realistic. It's not, it's not wise. And so instead of asking, is this good or is this bad? Do I have time to fit it in my schedule? Will I enjoy this or not? Instead, what we have to ask ourselves is, is this wise? Is this wise in light of my desire to become who God has called me to be? Is this wise in light of my desire to stay grounded in what matters most to me and matters most to my God? And so, for the Marthas out there, you might want to write this down. Keep your hands busy. People over production. People over production. Value people over your need to produce. Prioritize people. Put people above your to-do list. Prioritize people. Reschedule and reorganize your schedule to make room for those relationships to be formed and nurtured and deepened. And here's just another free thing for you, in case you didn't know it, that if you don't make your schedule, someone else will make it for you. If you don't create your calendar, someone else is going to create it for you. If you don't set some priorities, someone else is going to set them for you. Yes, I believe that God has a wonderful plan for your life, but so does everyone else. Distractions. Distractions always dominate an unprioritized heart. Distractions always dominate an unprioritized heart. Because distractions, distractions are like those little candy bowls that you have sitting on the end table around your house, right, or in the office. I know this all too well. And you go around the corner and and there it is. And so that might be for you one of these, right? Right? That might be the phone, that might be the radio, that might be the TV, that might be the news, that might be the newspaper, whatever it is, it's it's all candy. And it's enticing. Enticing to an empty heart. It, It may taste good, especially to a heart that's empty, especially to a heart that's hungry for something. But we know it has no sustenance to it. That it it won't last, it won't fill you up, it won't satisfy your deepest hunger. Distractions entice an empty heart. And so just while, while we're here, let me also say this. The distractions not only make intimacy with people impossible, but distractions also make our intimacy with God impossible. That's why Jesus says that that when you pray, you should go into your room, close the door so that there's no distractions around you and pray to your heavenly father who knows your needs and who can hear you. Because God has a purpose for you in the silence and the solitude, but you won't find it scrolling through all of the stuff. We looked at last week 
story that Jesus tells at the end of his most famous sermons about putting his teachings into practice. And he says that if you do, you're like a person who builds their house on a firm foundation. That we become rooted, sturdy, unshakable, grounded, even when the storms of life come. But he says that if you don't spend that time doing that hard work, prioritizing your relationship with God, then your house is going to fall with a great crash. And so, yeah, we can, we can keep putting it off. We can keep the Bible on the shelf. We can keep finding excuses not to make it to small group. We can keep finding reasons and schedule conflicts not to do what God has called us to do. But when the house comes crashing down, when the boundaries are broken, we might just find that the boundaries are broken because the foundation is too shallow, because we've stretched ourselves too thin, that we can't possibly support anymore. All right, let's get back to the story. Everybody say unpause with me. Ready? Unpause. So, Martha. Martha's there at the house. She's busy. She's working. She's doing. She's hustling. She's going, but she needs some help. And so what does she do? She goes to Jesus to ask Jesus to tell Mary to help her. If you didn't catch the irony of that, let me show it to you again. Martha's working. She's busy. She's doing. She's hustling. She's busting it, but she needs some help. So Martha goes to Jesus to tell Jesus, to tell Mary, to help her. Still didn't get it. Okay. She's in the presence of Jesus, if you didn't catch that. The one who can walk on water, feed the hungry, still, you know, the storm, all of that, raise the dead. And she asks Jesus to tell Mary to help her. She not only triangulates the communication, but she triangulates the worship. She's gotten it all backwards. She's all out of sorts. She should have taken her need directly to the feet of Jesus, but instead she takes her need to Jesus to rebuke him, to tell him, to tell Martha, Mary, to tell Mary to whatever. <laughs> tell her lazy, no good for nothing sister to get up off her rump and start working. She misses Who's in the room? That worry, worry will mess up your worship. It'll mess up your worship. But look at how Jesus responds. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. If you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart in a while. Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you missed the moment. Martha, you missed the opportunity because you were so busy that you didn't see the opportunity for the decision that you could have made. You missed it. Success isn't determined 
only by what you do, but success is determined also by what you don't do and what you choose not to do. You see, God doesn't call us to be busy. God calls us to be fruitful. And there's a difference between busyness and fruitfulness. That your life is too valuable. God's calling on your life is too great. God is too great for you to be distracted and for you to be torn apart by all the things that want your focus and your attention. God has a better plan for your life. God wants to build a better, a firmer foundation for your life. So stop stretching yourself too thin. But Martha thought, Martha thought that she was just doing what was right. She thought that she was good. She thought that she was justified based on her busyness. But Jesus says, no. No, you're worried and upset about so many things. But Martha, listen, there's only a few that really matter. In fact, there's only one. Proverbs 4 says this. It says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Mary, Mary fixed her gaze directly before her. Undistracted, focused, on Jesus. And now here, listen up. This is why this is so important. Yeah, you should read your Bible. Yeah, you should spend time in prayer. Yeah, all that stuff. That's just inherently good for your soul, I believe, in and of itself. But here's why I believe that this is so important. And here's how I found it so important for my own life. Is that those merry moments, those merry moments help you discern your decisions. Those merry moments, those, those times, those moments spent at the feet of Jesus, undisturbed, help you discern what is the better way. What is the better way for you to walk in? Because so often our busyness only allows us to see what is obvious, only allows us to see what, it, what we keep placing right in front of our eyes. That we can get so busy that we end up assuming that everything that we do, Jesus is just blessing it with a yes. That, oh, I'm, I'm getting things done. I'm, I'm working. I'm doing. I'm, I'm humming along. So it must be all good with God. But sometimes... Sometimes we get so busy that we end up making a false assumption. Because look at what Jesus told Martha. (laughs) No. No. I'm not going to do that. And it's really hard to pay attention to the direction that God is trying to steer you in when you're driving distracted when you're in your own little world and you think that you're going down the right path, but unless you're listening and unless you have ears to hear the directions, you can end up going for a long way down the right road, but in the wrong direction. That sometimes we can be so busy that we assume that God is just saying yes to everything in our life. 
But it's those times that we get quiet. Those moments that we're still before the feet of Jesus that we can hear God say, no, no. And no is the hardest word to hear sometimes. But no is the most necessary word as well. Because like any good parent, your heavenly father sometimes has to say no. To keep you from harm, yes, but sometimes God says no to keep you from the good in order to save you so that you can reach for the great. So let me take you to one last story of scripture. The story is about Paul who started following Jesus uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection. And uh, Paul was just on fire for God. He was just on fire uh, to, to please God. He wanted to tell everyone in the whole wide world about uh, Jesus. And so Paul's off on one of his trips, one of his missionary journeys around the world. He's, he's telling everybody that he meets about Jesus. And this was actually one of Paul's most successful uh, missionary trips so far. And so he's, he's busy, he's working, he's doing, he's busy out preaching in the synagogues, preaching downtown, baptizing people. He's just busy, 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 doing, 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 and it's all good. And so it says this in Acts 16, it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in the numbers. That Paul's busy doing the Lord's work and everything is going so well for him. So he decides to keep on moving and take this good news to the next region over, take it over to Asia. But then verse 6 happens, and it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia. Having been kept by the devil from preaching the word... Oh, wait. No. What does that say? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Having been kept by the, the Holy Spirit. I mean... So the Holy Spirit has kept me from doing some things before, but they're usually pretty stupid things. But the Holy Spirit kept Paul from preaching? Holy Spirit kept Paul from preaching? God says, no, you're heading in the right way, Paul, but but you're going the wrong direction. So when they came, when they came to the border of Mysia, They tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. What's up with God? What's up with God holding Paul back from doing what he was called to do? What's up with God holding Paul back from preaching? What's up with God holding Paul back from doing the good? Here's a question to ask. Is God still good When God tells you no, do you believe that God is still good even when God says no? Or do you have that shallow foundation that when God says no, you just go home? You get some bad news. You don't see immediate results. You hit some hard times. A storm raises up in your life. You hear no. Does that mean that you just go home? And that's what Paul could have done. That's what Paul could have done. He heard no and then another no. Why bother? Let's just go home. 
But just because God says no doesn't mean that it's over. So it goes on. It says, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Mysia is the place where they wanted to go. That was the place that they were planning to go to. They passed by where they had planned to get to where God had purposed them. Sometimes you have to pass by your plans to get to God's purposes. That sometimes when God says no, it's to provide a greater opportunity for you. And so watch what God is going to do here. Paul's there in Troas, not Mysia, waiting. Just waiting to hear from God. Okay, I listened. You said no. Here I am. What's going to happen now, God? And it says, during the night. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. A vision in the night. You can't hear the no unless you're quiet and still. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Then from Troas, we put out to sea, sailed straight for some Athros whatever that's called. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi. Philippi, the place where Paul was never planning on going to, but the place where God had purposed him all along. And here's the fascinating thing about Philippi. Here's the fascinating thing about this little story here. Philippi was the first place in Europe. Philippi was the first place in the Western world where the church was planted by Paul here in Acts 16. We are here because God said no. We're here because God said no to Paul, but Paul could have missed it. Or Paul could have just kept on going his own way. Had he not listened, where would we be if Paul had not listened? says Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. That even though it didn't turn out the way that Paul had planned it, it was the way that God had purposed it. All because God said no, and Paul was humble enough and willing to hear it and accept it. And so maybe you've heard some no's in your life and and you've got a testimony of that greater opportunity that God has put out for your life. Maybe you're also hearing a no right now with something in your life. And I don't know what that is. But what could be on the other side of that no? What could be that greater opportunity that God has for your life? Could it be that there is one? Could it be that God has a greater purpose? That even in the face of heartache, even in the face of the letdown, even in the face of the disappointment, there's a greater purpose. Because we know that in all things, in the yeses and in the noes, that God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Just don't become too distracted. 
Don't become too worried, too hurried, too busy, too distracted, too pulled apart to hear it. You've got to listen for it. Listen for him in the night to put down what you're doing and just sit at the feet of Jesus. Few things are necessary. Really, there's just one. There's just one. Let me close with this and then I'll be done. I promise. Psalm 127 says this. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Why don't we read that together? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. You can build a house. You can build a pretty successful life for yourself, but unless you build it with a firm foundation, trusting God in all and through all, you might just end up building it all in vain. You might be heading down the wrong road, down the right road in the wrong direction. Don't miss it. Don't miss the opportunity that God has for you, even if it comes as a no. But sit at the feet of Jesus, undistracted, unworried. Be still and listen. Listen.